Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Kothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Erin has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Kothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. Hi, this is Aaron Reed, host of Coastal Currents. I was joined in studio on the last day in February by Ms. Shannon Bean. Shannon is a born and raised Cothet area educator and has worked in public, private, and international education for the past 25 years. Shannon is currently working on her doctorate in education leadership and policy studies from the University of Kansas, while also navigating the COVID-19 pandemic as principal of Westview Elementary. Welcome, Shannon, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. This is actually really exciting. I've never been on a podcast. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to play a little bit of this or that. So it's just the first thing that comes to your mind when I I throw out a this or that and we'll see what we get. We'll just do a few. Ketchup or ranch? Ranch. Zombies or vampires? Vampires. Working hard or hardly working? (laughs) Well, I do most of the former and prefer the latter. Art museum or history museum? Art museum. Coffee or tea? Tea. Play or stand-up show? Play. Fiction or non-fiction? Oh, that's a tough one. Both. Couldn't decide. Yeah. That's what I would do too. Yeah. Instagram or Twitter? Uh, let's see. Insta. College or high school? College. Happy endings or sad endings? Happy endings. Nice. You and I have known each other for quite a few years through the school district, mm-hmm. and yet don't really know each other all these years through the school district because we never really had a chance to have a personal chat. So mm-hmm. I know you've been working really hard in your your realm of leadership lately. But what I wanted to start with was just talking about your early years, life growing up in Powell River and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm born here in Powell River. And uh, I have a large family and extended family in the community. My last name is Bean. So there's large Bean family here. Right. And uh, was privileged to go to school here and have lots of great friends. Big memories of school is all my athletics and uh, fine arts that I was involved in, always involved in theater, played lots of basketball. When I was in high school, I was selected to go on a rotary exchange. So when I was in grade 11, I lived in Finland for the year. And uh, this was in a time where cell phones weren't really happening. So every second week, I used to write a letter to my mom and dad. (laughs) And actually, it was really lovely because quite a few years ago, uh, maybe at Christmas or something, my dad brought out this beautiful little box and he opened it up and he had saved every one of my letters that I had sent. And it was cute because I was reading them over and I thought, boy, I sure fooled them because I was out there having a great time. <laughs> I didn't really, I attended school more on a peripheral level. Right. And, uh, but I wrote to them all the time about all my studies that I was doing there <laughs> while I was, you know, traveling and playing around and making friends. But fantastic year. And I'll tell you that year shifted my thinking so tremendously it first of all I met kids from all over the world 
And I was very fortunate to travel around with the Rotary Club. And then when I came back, it was like it had given me a whole new perspective about what was available for you in the world. Right. So then I came back, I went to Max Cameron, and then went off to university. And then the next chapters began from there. So what age were you at when you did that? 15. 15. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember in my classes at Brooks, Arwen Widmer did the same thing and went to, she went to Japan. Okay. I think. But you could tell it was, it was a life-changing experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I didn't know that until I Googled you recently. Oh, yes. Saw, <laughs> I'm Googleable. <laughs> You're Googleable. <laughs> I saw it on your website that you'd done that. And I, I absolutely didn't know that. And that kind of made a lot of things make more sense to me, you know, your interest in the international program and, and all of that thing, it all kind of comes. Well, and then even, you know, when I look back studying, so I was at a high school in Finland, I learned how to speak Finnish, but Finland has a very highly regarded education system, and kind of being parachuted into that as a 15 year old. And I look back now, and I see some elements of why I think that was the case. And I mean, really, even I learned how to speak Finnish within about three months of being there. And I was in northern Lapland. But I think that says a lot about the community, the schools, the infrastructure, the education, the education of teachers. So yeah, it was a really, really phenomenal experience and life changing. And I'm always a little bit leery to commend Rotary Club too much only because I think they're going to ask me to join. (laughs) I don't have enough time right now. But I'll tell you, it shifted my entire thinking in so many ways. Wow. Yeah. Have you been back to Finland since then? Only in my dreams. I still dream sometimes in Finnish. Really? Yeah. And I still think about the families that I lived with and uh, yeah. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Did you stay with more than one family when you were there? At the time, the Rotary Club had each student living with uh, three families throughout the course of the year. Okay. So I stayed with the mayor of Rovaniemi. That was the city that I lived in. And they were one of my families and uh, one of the head librarians in the community. Like really kind of your typical family members that had kids at the school that I was attending. You have to say that word again, because it sounds awesome. (laughs) Rovaniemi. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I was uh, like, I came home and uh, taught my siblings some of the language that I learned. But the ones that they remember most are the swears, which I won't repeat (laughs) on this. Of course they are. Still. still Those are my strongest words in French. (laughs) (laughs) How many siblings do you have? I have four siblings. I'm a middle child, so the most uh, (laughs) well-adjusted child. I have uh, two older sisters and two younger brothers, and we're all just about a year apart, so a whole smattering of us uh, all together. My mom actually moved here when she was uh, 18, 19. Both my parents were living in just outside of London, and then they were blessed with their first child. (laughs) Then the second (laughs) one was coming along, and they said, you know, my dad was working on the double-decker buses, and they said, oh, maybe it's time to move to Canada where, you know, there's better lifestyle and better paying jobs in the mill, and so they moved here, and then the rest of us came. And I think my dad, of course, his whole family was here because he had 12 siblings. Holy cow. So I think that was also the big pull to come back to Palover. But, of course, I always think, oh, it would have been so great if we lived in London. I could just imagine my lifestyle. Be so <laughs> On the double-decker buses. I just like to follow the fashion, and but oh. that probably wouldn't be the case. I, I knew you guys were a big family, but mm-hmm. I didn't know it was that big. That's Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, lots. Twelve siblings, and then all of his siblings had, we were actually kind of the smaller family with five, because many of the others had six, seven, eight, nine children. Wow. In each of their families, so. Wow. It adds up. And, and many of us 
grew up here, stayed here, or if we left, there's a vortex that pulls all of us back. And I think because we go yearning throughout the world to look for a community that's similar to what we're used to living in, right. it's really hard to find that. Absolutely. Well, it's hard to find something like Paul River in itself, but then your whole family finding that kind of community is very difficult. And I find lots of people do that, right? They grow up here. They can't wait to leave, right? Mm -hmm. So many people can't wait to leave just because, you know, you grow up in a small town life and you don't, don't really know what it's like elsewhere and you want to experience that. But then that pull happens, you know, when you start settling down, they start having kids and I see them all trying to get back. Back to Paul River. Absolutely. And even now, I mean, you must be seeing it more than I. There's the demographic shift that's happening in our community. Yes. With kind of the closing the mill and a lot of people, like the people that I'm seeing that are joining in at the school, their new families are from mostly Squamish, that those kind of communities that have exploded and they're looking for something that was similar to what Squamish or other cities were like, you know, 20 years ago. And that's why they're coming to Pelliver. It's the close-knit community, the people that you see when you're getting your milk, or there's a familiarity. And yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. Oh, but we're changing. Yes, for sure. And mm -hmm. even with the pandemic, I'm finding because people have learned they can work from anywhere. Now we're getting, seems like a bigger influx of people too coming from Vancouver and in, in the lower mainland area, trying to come have, you know, a different quality of life here than apartment living in the city. In the city. Oh, I know. And especially during that pandemic, I kept thinking about all those people living in two-bedroom apartments and balcony was their fresh air. After that experience, you said you went then away to university. So what did you start taking and where did you go? I went to University of Victoria and I studied, I got my degree in English. My undergrad is in actually English and economics. After I got my degree, it was one of those ones, I guess we still do it now, like you can get your undergrad, but then you actually need some sort of training to be employable. Right. So I could have could have been a barista, but I'm not, I'm not actually that great working at a restaurant. But anyway, so a friend of mine that I had met in university had been working in Taiwan. So I thought, oh, that might be a good idea. So I had a little uh, two-door sports car. It was really cool. Really loved it. It was dynamo. Anyways, but I sold that and just bought everything else I had. And then I went and lived in a city just outside of Taipei. And I was teaching English as a second language there. And it was mostly just to figure out something to do, but it wasn't easy living in, it was Taoyuan, which is the city I lived in. It wasn't really easy because it was very difficult moving from, and moving from a Western culture to Southeast Asia. But I really enjoyed being with the kids and in the classroom and thinking about how to teach language. So that was just interesting for me thinking about it. And then I, after I was there for a bit, I thought, you know what I think I might do? I think I might go and get my teacher certificate. So then I came back, I went to UVic and I did a post-degree program. So I actually taught for, it was a year and I taught part-time at uh, Claremont Secondary mm -hmm. and then took courses at UVic at the same time. And then, so after the year, then I got my post-degree certificate, was qualified as a teacher. And then in uh, May of the year that I graduated, I got a call from Jerry Schofield, who was the superintendent, I think, in Palo River at the time. So I was really fortunate. I zipped up to Palo River and I started working at Ocean View uh, Middle School. And then it went from there. And I landed here. I was so lucky. I had a full-time job. Wow. I did get laid off most years and then got rehired in s September, which was kind of the practice here, Right. which was for the next seven years. Then I would do that. But that was, you know, when you're 20, whatever years old, you're like, that doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you don't <laughs> think about the big picture. Right. Right now it's a little bit different, but um, I had a great time in university, you know, really UVic, you know, for it's kind of a smaller scale university possibly, but um, really good for people like me from a smaller community, 
it's a good big step. I think it would be difficult for kids from small communities to head out straight to McGill or University of Toronto or those kind of places. But it was, it was great. And uh, living in Victoria was a hoot. Great friends. That's another city that has a good community. Right. You know, especially when you're going to university, right? You just find all these great people. And you can be home in a day. You know, if if you need to come home and have that connection. That's right. Home in a day. Yeah. 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 Get all the food that your mom makes and take it back with you. (laughs) Load the bag. (laughs) Yeah. See you later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was my university experience and that's why I went into uh, education and yeah. And then the world just took off. Trying to think of what what time, what years that would have been when you started out. So I started here in Pulver in 93. Like 93, 93, 94. Okay. Was when I started working at Ocean View and then I was working at Max Cameron and I was teaching English and then I would teach, at that time I would kind of take jobs that would come up. So sometimes it would be PE and then they were really short drama teachers and I was, I think, I think I was the only one, looking back, I think I was the only one willing to do it, <laughs> but I thought that they hired me to teach drama because I was so talented. <laughs> But uh, anyways, but I really love, I taught drama for a long time and I loved putting on those big musicals and it was so lovely and it was just such a hub of vibrancy for the school and you'd have different people taking on, you know, organizing the props or organizing the choreography or, you know, so you created this little team within the school and then the kids would just love it, absolutely love it. And so um, I don't know how many I put on like Oliver and Guys and Dolls and uh, so many different ones, but you know, when I see, cause we have Mamma Mia coming up this year, My which I'm super it. looking forward to seeing yeah. May 13th, 14th, mark your calendars. Uh, I'm so excited to see it. Cause I love seeing it at the new theater yeah. at Brooks. And, uh, I just think, man, it would have been amazing working out of that theater. It's phenomenal. But I was always lucky to have, um, the evergreen theater. I loved having, we had the community orchestra in the pit there and right. it was, it was just, Fabulous. So I just had a really great time and I was, my kids were little, they would be in the performances, whatever was going, sometimes they were orphans, sometimes I did Zeusical and Musical, they were fish, they were always part of it as well, just because, you know, I needed to parent them as well, but they could come and go tell the rehearsals and learn all the songs and it was great. It was like a whole vibe amongst the family. So it was fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, and my daughter and I were talking about this the other day because she went back to Brooks. She graduated last year, but she went back to Brooks this year for the theater experience because she'd been waiting ever since oh, yeah. grade nine when they started to have that grade 12 theater experience. And I just said, you know what? You're young. Go. Just right. go back. Right. And she's had such an amazing time. And we talk about that, just the, the camaraderie in the family and how there's so many different totally different people that are in the program and yet they're they're just the best of friends and and great family and it's it's really impressive and everybody involved including the audience has a really important role that they play so a lot of the kids would you know join theater and they'd say oh no i but i don't want to sing and i don't want to dance and i was like that's okay because providing feedback and supporting your fellow classmates really matters too yeah but you're right and they form those bonds like even now I have students sending me messages about, oh, this is when we were, you know, in a play 15 years ago. Aww. And I'll tell you, I love it. Yeah. And <laughs> like it was exhausting and up all night and worrying about how am I going to get this particular clock that I need for this particular show. But man, it all comes together and it's just phenomenal. It's Aww. absolutely phenomenal. And all those little things you worry about, nobody even notices when they, yeah. you know, 
because there's always something that goes wrong. I mean, there's always, oh yeah, always something. But yeah, would that would you say that was that one of your favorite classes to teach? Yeah, I love teaching English and I love teaching drama. I loved it. Although sometimes with drama, it was like running a birthday party every day. The kids want to come there and they want to play and they want to get, you know, it's like high energy and <laughs> yeah. But absolutely, it was yeah, it, it was a bit exhausting. <laughs> but I did. I really loved it. I really Aww. loved it. So you were doing Ocean View, and then after I was at Max Cameron for a few years, then I went to Ocean View teaching grade seven. I got a job as a district counselor. So. That was before I was vice principal. So I was counselor at Kelly Creek, the former Grief Point Elementary, and then Ocean View. So I had those three schools. And I did that for maybe two years. And then I became vice principal at uh, Ocean View. Okay. And then um, vice principal there until, I'm trying to remember if, because it closed down, maybe when it closed down, then I went over to Brooks as vice principal. I can't remember exactly all the specifics, but it kind of closed down shortly. It was kind of like a painful <laughs> ending, <Ouch>. slow. <laughs> and uh, so then I went over to Brooks, VP there, and uh, working with a phenomenal team, Rod Pro and Kathy Rothwell, and then myself, the three of us. And then, and it was funny how in my career, there've been times where I think, you know, I'm ready for a change. And then it's like the stars align. I don't always look for it, but then something comes up and think, Hmm, that might be interesting. And so I'd been working as VP there, I think it was four years, and I could just start feeling, I need to change them. You know, I had done my master's, I had done a number of different jobs throughout the district. And then I got I saw an email pop up. And it said, Hey, does anybody want to go work in China? And I thought, Oh, well, that's interesting. And uh, my superintendent <laughs> sent me this message. And it showed this beautiful building in the message about where you would live working in China. And so the district had just created some partnerships with, you know, different companies, whatever in China. Yeah. And I thought, well, that looks really interesting. And I said, Oh, could I, could I bring my son? My son was in grade 11 at the time. And I thought, I'm, you know, he'd probably be keen to go. It might be a really interesting experience. Anyways, so within six months, I was on a plane to Beijing wow. as a uh, principal of an international school in Beijing. <laughs> And my son, and I said, I'll only go if you want to go. I'm not going to leave you high and dry right. here without mumsy. Um, so we went. It was really, yeah. So there, you know, there I was, landed. It was phenomenal. It was a bit overwhelming to begin with, but um, that was just a great experience. It was so lovely. Met kids again from all over the world. Most of the kids at the school were Russian, Korean, Chinese, and then my son was the only Caucasian. Oh, really? Yeah. And so there was a uniform at the school but he wore his Vancouver Canucks jersey the whole time. And I kept saying, you know, I'm the principal of the school. If there's anybody that could follow the rules, could it be you? And he was like, okay, okay. And then I'd look and I'd see the sea of uniforms and then <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks jersey. Oh, you know? Gotta so, be a rebel. <laughs> yeah, so he added in him. So yeah, so I did that for, um, and then, you know, behind that, we were trying to, uh, we were struggling at Brooks, filling up some of the courses because we had a bit of a declining population and whatnot. So that was one of the reasons that we needed to try and expand our international student population so that we could, we wouldn't have declining course offerings. We would right. have more. So that was kind of one of the ways that we could potentially increase our student population. So long story short, over the past couple of years, we've increased it by about 100 students because we have just over 150 this year. And that year we had about 24. Wow. Um, but they're not all mainland Chinese students. They're from all over the world. So 
but that was just a part of the growth opportunity. And that's amazing. My son and I had a discussion about that the other day. Being here and growing up, there wasn't a lot of diversity here. And what I really love about the international program is it brings that here to the kids Mm -hmm. so that they've got that diversity here that, you know, they, they wouldn't get otherwise. No, absolutely. And, you know, I'm doing my PhD right now. And originally I was going to focus on international education and then it kind of took a circuitous route. So I'm studying something else. But um, one of the factors for having a high performing system is to have a real diverse student population. And we are a homogeneous population here in town, but you're right. On the whole, it's not typical for Canadian families to send their children away at those, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old when they, when they're at that age, but it is in other countries, it's very common to send your child abroad. And we benefit from that. And I love when you go down the hallway of Brooks, I don't know when you've been there last, but when you go down and I can hear the French, the students speaking French and German and Austrian and Spanish and Chinese and Korean, like there's just such a richness in the air. Right. Um, in the school. It is. It's just absolutely beautiful. I know my daughter recently is, has a friendship with one of the German exchange students. And uh, it was funny watching her upstairs on the couch learning German. Oh, lovely. So she brought her phone out and she's trying to learn the words. And then she'd taken her out to our cabin and she'd, um, they all played cards with, you know, my husband and, and a friend of ours. They were playing cards and just, it's just an experience she wouldn't ever have if these kids weren't coming here. Mm-hmm. And that's a connection now that they have where German students have a connection to Canada, to BC, to Powell River that they wouldn't have had any other way. And it's just, I mean, I totally 100% for it because I yeah. think it's it's awesome for everybody. And doesn't it says a lot about you and your family also open and welcoming to students from around the world, bring them here, take them up the lake. That's like that's beautiful. That's really brilliant. It's just it's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's and, and it's funny the things. <laughs> so my husband was trying to uh, burn some wet wet cedar boughs that had come fallen when the the snow happened they'd snapped off and thrown them in the fire and of course it's making all this smoke and they're not burning well and she looks at him kind of like he's an idiot and says you know those would burn a lot better if you let them dry first (laughs) (laughs) i thought oh she must think we're really stupid (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's funny because my mom she hosts students quite often all the time so a couple of weeks ago, I was up there and she has uh, four, three students and one of them is German. And of course, we have a big house that's empty now, right? Just with my own dad. So my mom thinks, I guess she'll, I think my mother is just really supporting me to be quite honest, <laughs> but she has all these students there. And um, one of the girls was talking to my mom about something and my mom was joking around and she says, oh, that's bullshit, Carmel. And I looked at my mom like, she can say that? I can't say, how come she, you know, and my mom is mending her clothes and, and I'm like, well, the, hey, I want to do over because when we were little, we didn't have all this, but you know what? She's, they get such a hoot out of it. They bring such energy to the, their house and, um, yeah, no, it's lovely. It's really lovely. I love seeing the kids around town. I love that. It's, it's like, good. I don't know. It's a funny thing. It's like, uh, it must be like having the grandkids. Yeah. You know? There's that, that whole different dynamic with with parents as parents and parents as grandparents, you know? Yes. I laugh about that with, with Shane's mom, actually, because there's all sorts of stuff that happened to him. He hurt himself all over the place when he was a kid and they just free ranged, right? And then now with 
our kids when they were little, his mom was just like, get out of the tree, get off the thing, oh. don't go. I don't know. <laughs> a safety barrier. Yeah. 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 She was like, where was that when I was a kid? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, she learned. You got broken all the time. <laughs> so what made you decide to transition from teaching to being a vice principal? That is a very good question. I think I had applied, there were some jobs that had come up and I think that because I'm the kind of person that I'm always looking for the next opportunity or the next challenge or, you know, I felt like the job had come up that had come up that I first applied for that I wasn't successful at. I kind of thought, oh, I think this would be good for me that I wasn't successful at that. And then the next one that came up that I was successful at I remember my thinking being a little bit different is in that I think I would be good like for the school. It'd be good for the school. Like it was just a bit of a different perspective. Right. So it was just kind of an opportunity to kind of to move to the next step that made logical sense, I think. And then the way that it has happened here is that as you're working, things shift in the district. Sometimes you're aware of, sometimes you're not aware of. So all the other positions really have been just kind of being asked, would you be willing to take this on and go to the next job opportunity that kind of has come up. And that's how taking on the role at Westview kind of came up that way. I was running the international program at Brooks and then the principalship at Westview came up. And then if you were asked, I think we're asked, is anybody keen to take on a different challenge? And so this one came my way, which I'm super pleased for because I didn't really work in elementary prior to the last, you know, aside from Taiwan. So, right. so I wasn't really familiar with working with really little kids and like kids in kindergarten and like they're wet all the time. Yeah. They're, you know, so it wasn't super comfortable <laughs> with it, but I cannot tell you the absolute joy that like, it's just a different psyche. The kids are filled with joy and they love the adults and they're like, they love their teachers. They love their principal. There's the kids put hearts under my office door all the Aww. time. There's hugs galore. Of course, not during COVID times. Right. But it's a different psyche altogether. It really is. And um, and I, I keep thinking, some of us on the staff, we were having this conversation not too long ago, like, what happens? They're so filled with joy and love. And then they get to high school and something changes. And there's kind of a vitriolic, I don't know. It's called distaste. puberty. I think it might be puberty. <laughs> it's called but, puberty. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's a big shift. And it's nice because they hate their parents as well on the whole yeah. until they realize their parents are fantastic. That takes a few years, I think, to come about. But yeah, so yeah, so then the elementary thing came up and that's been fantastic. And I've been able to continue running the international program and that's been a hoot. I was in the city of Chongqing. We had a partner in that city in China. So I went walking around the university, Southwestern University, which is very famous for Dr. Norman Bethune. There's a huge statue of Norman Bethune at Southwestern University because, of course, with his work in penicillin, he saved a lot of children in that city. So he's highly regarded. From being there, I came in contact with Yang Zhao, who is well known in education circles for his work on assessment and things like this. Anyways, long story short, he decided to put on a cohort for a PhD program based out of the University of Kansas. But then there were 18 of us here in BC that all were working on our PhD together as a group. And so that's why originally, because I was following him kind of on Twitter and other social media platforms that I thought I was going to work on a PhD in international education with him as my chair. My focus of study changed a little bit, but I've been following him like a little bit of, um, not necessarily like Betty Crocker's doctor, not anything like that, but, <laughs> but just in an academic 
world. <laughs> I've been following uh, his work quite a bit. That's the first time I've heard that. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, so um, so then I worked on my PhD for the last couple of years, and I'm just coming up to the writing my last chapter. It's kind of like uh, I I don't know who said this, and I should find out who quotes these things that I repeat, but it's like opening up your vein and letting it bleed. And that's how, that's how much work it is taking me to get to this final stage of my dissertation. So I write and write and uh, I try to get up early in the morning and write a little bit. And then every week I send it to my chair or my group and I I'm filled with hope and I feel like my work is really profound and insightful and that I've put some really good thought into it and then I get it back and I'm like dashed and my hopes are on the floor and I think I'll never finish this and this is so difficult and why did I sign up and I don't want to pay any more tuition and I just want to cross that stage I want to wear the outfit I do want to get a nice set of heels so I'm getting to the tail end of that but I've been uh doing some interesting research in leadership in the province. It's interesting, though. It's funny how you start with one focus in mind of of where you're going to go, and then it just goes in a whole different direction. It's cool how that happens, like how it happens organically that way. What do you feel has been your biggest surprise in your research? What shocked you the most? Well, I'm still kind of really in the middle. Right now, I'm... So what I've done is I've interviewed the female superintendents in the province, And uh, I had about, I don't know, 15, 20 questions that I asked every one of them. And then um, I'm picking out the big themes. I was thinking this weekend as I was writing, sometimes at the end, I get very disappointed. And and I was thinking, why is this so hard? Because I love writing. I get a real kick out of it. And I think the part that makes it so hard is that the themes I'm picking out that are emerging, that are common themes from all of them, are difficult themes to kind of fumble around with. One of the themes that's coming out is how important their appearance is. And uh, the comments are like, you know, I'm slim and I'm blonde. And so I fit into the schema of what people expect to see in a female superintendent or, uh, you know, the, and I don't think it's uh, specific to female leadership roles, but the demands that uh, they have on work and family and that they have to excel in both and, you know, look sharp. There has been a lot of difficulties with how they navigate relationships, like people are dismissive sometimes because, you know, maybe some some people have articulated that it's a diversity hire, not somebody who mm. was the best person for the job. So there's that kind of, and the term for that has been lateral violence, where there's infighting amongst the people who didn't get selected or they mm. just think they're less than. And instead of holding people up, instead of celebrating, instead of becoming part of the team, instead of, you know, not everybody's perfect. So maybe they do have a weakness in one area, but how about be part of the team and build that up? Right. How about, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that's been part that's been surprising and difficult. The part that's been surprising and wonderful is how these women continue to persevere. And, uh, you know, the days are long and the challenges are remarkable and they persevere and because they know without a shadow of a doubt what their ideas are grounded in and it's trite possibly you might think but it's what's best for kids and if you use that as your guiding thought in all of the decisions that you make ultimately you know you might make a decision that it doesn't look immediately that it's in the best interest of children but you know three or four rungs down the ladder ultimately that's why the decision was made how it is. And you know that they are doing what they're doing for that purpose. Um, so that for me holds out a lot of hope. Right. Yeah. So it has been very, very interesting. And I'm, 
uh, close to publishing, and then I'm uh, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> Because it's not great, right? When you have the comments that they're worried about their appearance and, you know, it fits into what the male schema expects people to see. How does that reflect on others in leadership? I mean, I think it just shows that we all have a long ways to go. You Mm -hmm. know, it just shows that, that there's gaps there that still we feel like in this day and age in 2022 shouldn't be there. But it just illustrates that they are and they still need to be worked on. You know, I agree. I think that's something women have, we still battle deeply is that big divide on having to be a good wife and a good mother and good at your career and be happy when you do it all and look fabulous. Right. Right. Which I fell off that wagon a long (laughs) time ago. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just unrealistic expectations. And, you know, people are killing themselves trying to meet those. Mm -hmm. And, And I feel like that's you know, kind of a societal gap that we have to figure out mm-hmm. because it's not fair. No. And a lot of these women, they just commented, most of them, all of them pretty much, their children are older adults themselves. And they just felt a lot of guilt about being away from them so much because there was a lot of inf- infrastructure they put in the homes in, ter- in terms of nannies and uh, food prep people. And so they had the the infrastructure there, but they weren't there. And they did all just about all of them commented on the guilt that they felt. But I guess I try to frame it, you know, because even though I my children were young, and I was working, I was in a different venue where after school, they would come to me. And so we were still able to have that time. But you're still like, okay, now we got to rush home, and we, or we have to get you to soccer and extra and make sure you have a protein and a vegetable and feed you properly all the time. But I always like to frame it in that did we set an example? Did we like, you know, because they were saying that they felt so guilty, but, you know, maybe, maybe you in a way that you didn't intend were a mentor for your child. Maybe you set an example that you could do this, or there were moments of frailty where, yeah, you put some Mr. Noodles together, you threw on some salsa on top and cheese and called it something. (laughs) (laughs) It was food. (laughs) And it was food. And it was, you know, and you might've been all sitting on the floor together eating it, but you were all together and you did the best you could and, and maybe frame it that way instead of just thinking that, oh, you did less than. Right. Right? Because you did what you could do. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe your children are better for it. Right? It is a good perspective because I know I've struggled with that, you know, 12 and a half years on the school board. Mm -hmm. And my daughter was a month into kindergarten when I was elected. My son was in preschool. I say all of my stipend that I made for almost all of those years went to babysitters. Right. Because my husband was out of town working frequently and it was just me trying to figure it all out. And I definitely carry a lot of guilt for that. At the same time, in 12 and a half years, I never missed a single meeting. And I tell my kids about that. I'm proud of it. And I feel like, so that showed some work ethic right? at the same time. So it, it is, it's like a balance. You have some right. guilt, but you're trying to teach lessons but at you're the same tra- time. That's right. But I do think it shows the kids like drive and commitment. And you probably couldn't talk a lot about what would happen. But like, like you say, a good work ethic, being part of a team, being, um, being a part of your community, being on a, a board, a, being a trustee or on a board of any sort means that you have an investment in your community and an investment in the education of your community, which is, you know, I just, I'm a, I might be biased, but I think education is so important. It really is. If you have a good education system, you have so much. And so you're devoted to that. And if your kids don't see it now, they'll, they'll see it. Yeah. Years from now. It's actually funny. They they were both upset when I stepped down from the board, wanted oh. me to continue on. My aunt was on the board when I was first elected, and she'd commented a number of times that her kids hated when she was on the school board. But at that time, it was different. They had a lot of meetings. 
So we definitely condensed our schedule down. It wasn't right. like it used to be. So I think during those years, she said, I, you know, I missed so many dinners. I missed school performances. I missed all these things in their time. And I think lucky for me, the board actually let me be the rep for the school my kids went to. Oh, lovely. So that way when things... You could be there. I could be there. Yeah. And do both roles at the same time. I lucked out in that way, I think. Yeah. There was a few years that I was a rep at different schools and that was challenging because, you know, I wanted to be at... This, this Christmas, Christmas concert, concert, but I need to go see my own kids. So. Yeah. A smart organization would make that happen. And they're used to, you know, we had a good relationship on the board. So it'd be, oh no, these two conflict. And I would say that and a trustee would say, I'll switch. No right. problem. Yeah. Like, you know, or, or I'll go handle this night. Don't you worry about it. You go be where you have to be. And that's to me, collaborative leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, when people are lifting each other up, when they're filling those gaps, when they're saying, when I'm in a bind, you're there to lift me up. Right. And when you're stuck, you know, I'll, do the I'll same. be there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that is one of the things actually that came out of the research that I've done is all of the superintendents have talked about being part of a really high and well-performing team. And when you're part of a, a good team, it's remarkable and profound and helpful and you see everybody as key and integral to the success of the whole organization. Right. So, I mean, there you have it. Of course, yeah, I'll help you. It's not like you have a weakness because you want to go see your own child at your sports events or whatever. Yeah. It's It makes you stronger and the group stronger. Absolutely. And I think we kind of, if we can be intentional about getting back to that. I think the funny thing is, and, and I mentioned this in my very first podcast episode when I was talking to Bobby, but... I feel like people have this weird idea of leadership. They feel like it's something to do with power. Oh, no. And I've just... <laughs> no, it's not. But so many people yeah. think that. And so many people in leadership roles think that. But I think when you shift it and really think it, about it being about responsibility, it makes so much difference when you think about it that way. I don't know why people think they... Uh, they picture a hierarchy in this this top-down thing yeah. and I feel like that never works I mean we're kind of seeing it in Russia right now right it just doesn't work right yeah it works better when people are working together and like you said bringing their strengths bringing their weaknesses and filling those gaps and doing it together and that's strong leadership Right. And I you think, know. you know, it's maybe a more traditional view if you think of it as a hierarchy. You know, at the end of the day, the buck stops somewhere. So ultimately, usually there's a one or or a small group of people that are ultimately responsible. But if you are operating in a strictly hierarchical way, there's no way you're going to be successful. If you have a team that is allowed open conversations, is allowed to have a difference of opinion, articulate the difference of opinion, disagree openly and not just have like be positive for positivity's sake, but just to be able to have those hard conversations, come to a some sort of solution and still have mutual respect for one another because you're guided by the same goal, but how you get there might be, but you have to have those hard conversations. And yeah. if you're working in a place where you can't have those differences of opinions and you're lacking support for one another, it's tough. It's tough. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have that mutual respect and that, that ability to feel safe. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately it makes everything better. It doesn't matter what kind of board, whatever the case may be, random committee. Right. But I feel like being able to have a collaborative approach, you know, there's people always come up with some question that somebody else hasn't thought of. Right. Or an answer to the question that somebody hasn't thought of. You just can't work in a silo. No. And I have to say, I've always been 
part of teams that are that have operated like that. You know, like when I was in the admin group at Brooks, we would have some tough conversations that Kathy Rothwell was really a strong leader. She had real strong values and ideas about how the school would run. And it took me a while to be able to kind of use my voice because it took me a while to be able to stand on my feet a little bit. But there was never a moment in there that I thought I shouldn't speak up or that I couldn't speak up or that my voice wouldn't be heard. It might be that I was wrong and she would let me know pretty quickly. <laughs> so, so, but I still was able to do that. And even now, you know, Jan Kennedy and I work together at Westview when we have meetings quite often and we'll go back and forth. It's not like we have different experiences and um, different perspectives, but our voices are equal right. at the table. You know, but we all have the same goal in mind. It's the staff same thing. And my, especially my first couple of years there, you know, like I said, I hadn't worked in elementary and I have these ideas about how the kids should behave. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, <laughs> you know, they teach me a lot. They teach me so much, but I wouldn't want to be part of a team where I wouldn't want to listen to the other voices either. Right. Cause you just learn so much from other people. You know, you have what, two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Think about it, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that design is not by fault. No. Yeah. For sure. Are you looking on to the next opportunity now? Or are you happy with what you're doing right now? I really love what I'm doing. I love being at Westview. I can feel that I am like that. I'm ready for whatever comes next. And I'm looking around, but I, I don't know where, what. But I'm. I always think that wherever I'm going, they should want me just as much as I want them. Right. You know, it needs to be that kind of a relationship. So wherever that is, yeah, absolutely. But I do love it at Westview. It is a pr like that state-of-the-art building. It is phenomenal. The staff there, they're brilliant and amazing. And we laugh. And I mean, we've struggled. The, what, I was there, what, four months, five months, and then COVID hit. So it's been a bit of a slog, I'm not going to lie. And then now, you know, touch wood. I, I think, is there another variant coming possibly? But I think there's an Omicron there... <laughs> variant. Around, <laughs> and I think there might be something else coming. But I think part of what I'm also planning is how we're emerging out of this like we've got to start re-engaging families into the school. We've got to rebuild the schools to be this real hub and uh, vibrancy. And like a lot of parents don't know what their children's teachers look like right now because we're so right. separate, which we have had to be. And so how to get everybody back in and back connected and making schools a really integral part of your community. That's kind of also what's kind of leading my thinking, Right. you know, at two, three or four in the morning when and I wake up. <laughs> It sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and it is. That's a big challenge because there's so many unknowns, so many fears mm -hmm. still. And, and people are on so many different sides of the spectrum. You know, like I know myself, I've flip-flopped, I don't know how many times in the last two years between being really afraid, being afraid for my family, being, you know, I was chair when this hit of the school board and I was petrified for everybody at that time. And I was awake all night a lot. Right. Oh, yeah. But now I'm kind of in this place where I'm just done. Right. I just miss people. I miss yeah. life. I miss, you know, I don't want it to be 9-11 where we never get back to where we were again. You right. Know? So I'm struggling with that myself. How do we get there? What does it look like? When can we do that? And, and will it be sustainable? In your role, I can just imagine because it has been such a disconnect for the schools. Like even the, even the simple thing, like a kindergartner having to wear masks. Think of all these babies born in the last two years that don't know what people look like with a face. 
yeah. besides their family. They don't know what it's like for somebody to smile at them other than with their eyes. And it's so sad. Oh, you know? well, and you know, I call them the COVID babies and we're seeing the kind of result in our, you know, little kindies, maybe maybe the grade ones, but a lot of these kids that are born, their parents haven't had the opportunity to go to mama baby yoga or kinder kinder care or you know do the parallel play all those small group activities music small groups and so now they're coming into kindergarten and they don't have the skills that maybe we had where we had lots of opportunity to play with other kids and so they've been kept safe and then now we're seeing them come into the school where their ability to share is early on their ability to follow the rules and many of the kids they've been around adults so now they're around 10 15 20 other kids and they're like okay this is not what i signed up for <laughs> i want about eight adults who are really enamored of everything that i do uh, yeah. So, so we are seeing that for sure. And I think that's going to be a little bit of um, a shift that we're going to need to make in our schools as we react in a proactive way right. to these little needy peats that need a little bit more because of their early years yeah. and what that looked like. But those kinds of things, like we have to be very intentional in what we're doing for these guys. Right. Because you're right, I do. I feel I feel for a lot of these young moms. You know what it's like. Having a baby is very isolating. And so there you are and you're stuck. And you can't and even have grandma over to meet the baby. I mean, that's for right. lots of them, that was our experience. And I just, yeah, yeah I thought about that so much. And yeah, the mm -hmm. social, emotional gaps that they would have. And I mean, you see it with the teens too and the young adults. You know, those years when they're, you know, going off to university. And let's be real, the first year of university when you're away, the experience is what you're there for. Right. It's, it's really not about the learning. It, I'd love to say that's what it's about, but it's about it's the social learning stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's fake ID in the bar. Yeah, and it's being on the speakers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And these kids were stuck in dorm rooms that are the size of a closet with one other person online all day, every day. Yeah. Like what a... I know. You know? Exactly. Where they should be meeting all those kids and traveling all over and saying, oh, hey, let's do this and take a year and backpack in Australia or around Europe. And that's just not happening. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Let's There's, go to Finland for a year. Let's go to Finland. This is exactly. <laughs> you know, they, they all miss those opportunities. And I, I, that always hurt my heart. And, you know, people, and I said it, I mean, kids are resilient. It's like, kids are resilient. They're resilient. They're resilient. They'll be fine. But at the same time, I was always like, it's time they'll never get back. Yeah. Right? You only have those young years and you don't get it back. You don't get a do-over. No. <laughs> you know, you don't get, hey, let's do grade 12 again. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, Nobody wants to. Yeah. It will be very interesting. Like when you see these kids, grade 10, 11, 12, the ones that have just graduated, how they're going to, like, has this shifted their values? You know, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, you, you try to go to post-secondary, you get a uh, education in something and then you need to get a job and you get your job and then you work away and you get a mortgage and you know is it shifting their values to think you know like the chances of buying a house might be pretty minimal so they're maybe just going to put that off indefinitely and you know it'll be interesting to see where they go with this yes. as as a group and of course I've, I've thought too it's very difficult for this group now I don't know if we're coming out of the pandemic I'm always leery about you know yeah. articulating and like that but wherever we are in that stage and now there is the what's going on in the Ukraine yeah so how are they making sense of that yeah. like it's a crazy world for them I'm not sure I mean how are we making sense of yeah, it as well but I know I'm not making sense of it yeah, no <laughs> you can't make sense of the nonsensical 
Right. I, mean, I don't know, lots to think about, but lots of work to be done. And you're right, if you're part of a team that allows for good discussion, difference of opinions, but it's uh, grounded in a mutual respect and a goal, and I mean, in education, it's improving student learning. So that's the ultimate goal. Then you've got the foundation to make positive change. I'm looking forward. I, <laughs> I hope I get to read your dissertation when it's done, because I'm actually, oh. I'm very interested to read what you, what you've put together. Well, I have to say, I owe my daughter a lot of money because she has read it so many times. She's my editor, but, but I've, I've, I've told my mom, you have like, I need two readers. So my chair and my committee, they'll read it. And then I've told my mom, you have to read it. So that would be like seven. So if I get you to read it, you could have eight readers. That would be good. Go. Yes. I would love to send it to you. Pop it up on your website when it's done. I'll put it on my website for sure. And yes. that was another thing I created over the last couple of years was my website. That was a lot of interesting work putting it all together and which was part of one of the courses that I took we needed to create a public website that's where that came from normally I wouldn't be so I don't know egregious and putting all those photos and everything up but. oh I liked it I thought it was really interesting and it, I think a lot of people don't google themselves enough right, right? yeah like people don't google themselves and go Ooh, what's coming up what's coming up yeah yeah, so hopefully that's it, because <laughs> luckily I grew up in a time where all those pictures, whatever, they're not posted anywhere. All the pictures of me studying late at night and whatnot, they're not posted. Studying, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> Dancing on the speakers and scandals, Victoria, that's not posted anywhere. Yeah, you know but, what, we're lucky that we, we weren't in those years. It's new world order. Right? Yeah. Well, this has been a really good conversation. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast, and this has been really informative for me. And it's been fun to catch up and get to know you a little bit better yeah. as well. For me as well. And I agree, like we were connected by being involved in the district, but um, just on almost really parallel roads, very rarely intersecting. It's very interesting doing this. I really enjoyed the podcast, like in itself. And I'm so proud of you for thinking I'm going to try this. You've got all the equipment, you took the course, like, I think that's just fantastic. It's so cool. Thank you. And you can really like connect with a lot of people in the community. One of the things we need to do is reconnect. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really fantastic vehicle to make that happen. And my tagline now is we need to put the kind back in humankind. So oh, that's it. the new one we got to do. Okay. So, yeah, I love it. Thanks. Well, Shannon. thank you so much. I really appreciated it. I'd like to thank Shannon Bean for taking the time from her busy schedule to join me in studio for this episode. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you listeners did too. To learn more about Shannon professionally, check out her website at shannonbean.squarespace.com. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thanks for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at CoastalCurrentsWithAaronReed at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.